This is Justin Mank from Not Waving But Drowning and Slow Clinic, and you're listening to my chapter of Ed's story group. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Man, being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. Talked to Travis, uh, who used to host the show, uh, and I was like, "Oh, hey, we should like talk to Justin." I think he was going to talk to uh, Calvin at one point, but it just never happened. Um, oh, okay. So I asked him if there was anything he wanted to ask you, and he wanted to know if you remembered uh, Crutch opening up with you guys uh, for Biohazard at the cave in Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, I do remember playing with, with Crutch, but, uh, and it was in Hagerstown, but it was with, um, Zayo and I think like looking forward, okay. if I remember correctly, but I, I don't even know if we ever played with Biohazard to be honest. Huh. Um, but I, I definitely do remember that, that band. Was he in that band? Yeah. He was the drummer. Oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. The, the whole, and then his, his cousin, Steven, uh, from Tantrum of the Muse. Oh, okay. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, again, another band, I'm not sure if we ever played with those guys, but from playing, like, Furnace Fest and being on Take Hold Records together, we just crossed paths with those dudes and, and uh, hit it off with them pretty well and kept in touch with them for a while, but I haven't talked to those guys in so long, so yeah. I don't even know what they're up to nowadays. Yeah. That's it for the Travis portion of the show. Um <laughs> So I, I know people hate when music podcasts talk about sports, but I'm going to do it right here at the top anyways, because I know you're a big uh, hockey and baseball fan. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm curious uh, how you feel about the Blues uh, free agency so far. Well, the, the fact that they're just shaking things up and doing something different that they've done the last two years, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of questioning why the hell we're bringing Perron back for a third time, <laughs> but, you know. He had a good year last year. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, they picked up some really solid players, and you know, it's one of those things that looks good on paper, so we'll just see if it translates. Yeah. Yeah, they're an interesting team to me because it's like they were right there and real close, and then and then they just kind of fell off. I don't Like Brian Elliott didn't pan out, and then like, Jake Allen getting injured, and it's a whole mess and goal. Yeah, we've... 
we've had the curse of getting close for many years and just never get the cup. So I'm uh, I'm confident it will eventually happen. I'm just hoping it's while I'm still breathing. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> you're from St. Louis. Uh, is that where you're from originally? Um, yeah, I'm actually from like the suburbs, but okay. yeah, basically that area. I grew up in St. Charles, which is like 25 minutes west of there. Okay. Um, but I, I, a lot of my childhood I spent going downtown, so I'm, I might as well have lived there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. What was growing up like? Oh, um, well, I'd say growing up, what I meant was like probably like my late teens, early 20s. Okay. Um, I actually worked at um, a couple different bars and clubs down there. Um, started booking shows and stuff like that, working the door. Um, so, like, you know, my late teens, early 20s, I was just down there a lot. Like, I don't even know why I lived in St. Charles, because I just, the amount of money I spent on gas was probably ridiculous. But, <laughs> um, but just as far as growing up in St. Charles, a place that, you know, is 30 minutes, you know, outside of the city. Um, you know, we, my parents took me to a lot of concerts and, and uh, record shows, and a lot of those events were always going to be downtown. And they started taking me at a pretty young age, and that's really what kind of spawned um, my love for, for music. Was I was pretty much like constantly surrounded by it at our household, so that's kind of where it all started off for me personally. Oh, what were those early concerts? Oh, uh, the first one was Eric Clapton. Oh, wow. Um, at St. Louis Arena, I think I was like 10 years old. And another recent one, because they're actually coming to the town, and a friend of mine's working the show, and I think we're going to go just for the heck of it. Um, but they had Todd and the Monsters. I don't know if you've ever heard of that band, but um, just kind of like a, um, I don't really, they're just like a rock band, but got kind of like a, a bluesy vibe to them. But he took me to that to see them when I, you know, probably a year or two after seeing Clapton, and uh, this is like, um, I don't know, early '90s. So, I, uh, I think those are those are the two main ones that I remember. And then we've been to a ton of other shows like U2 and stuff like that. But those are the two that I always think of as far as being the, the early ones that I went to. That's cool. Was that what inspired you to pick up guitar? I think so. Um, well, down the fact that I wanted to play drums, my parents were like, hell no, we're going to get you something else that we can turn down. <laughs> I think it's like, for me, it seems like every guitar player I ever talked to is like, yeah, I wanted to be a drummer, but my parents were like, that ain't happening. <laughs> That's funny. So how did you transition from listening to like uh, Clapton and U2 and kind of that uh, that stuff into heavier music? Um well, I was I was going to a lot of the stuff that my parents turned me on to, and then going to record shows. I just slowly kind of got turned on to like more of like the popular alternative bands that were really starting to break out at that time, like James Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine. Of course, Nirvana was like coming out. Mm -hmm. So I got into all the typical like '90s alternative rock stuff back then, and just really got into that and like i mean like rage against the machine and like orange nine millimeter i think is the stuff that kind of like even um you know 
inspired me to, to dig deeper into more underground stuff. You know, then I found out oh, the singer was from Rage was in Inside Out, and you know, the singer from Orange Millimeter was in Burn, and you know, so on. So um, I started, you know, checking out bands like that, and then I went to a local show um, that with you know a bunch of guys that I ended up becoming friends with years later, but they're called Bloodstone, hardcore band. Never heard a hardcore band in my life before. This is like the first time really being introduced to it, and I was just blown away. And it was at like a warehouse, like where it was like I think one of the kids from high school his parents like sold boats or something. I don't really remember the whole scenario, but it was like super sketchy looking. So I don't know why like uh, you know parents of like a hundred some of my kids would let their kids go to this place, but yeah. <laughs> And it was a blast. Like we, you know, everybody was pretty responsible. They did two or three shows there for a while, um, and uh, that's really was my first introduction. I think I picked up Snapcase Steps on Seven Inch, and that was like the first Seven Inch record that I picked up. I always remember that as what was like a big turning point for me, getting introduced to different bands, especially in like the hardcore scene. Yeah, that's cool. And what was the scene like at that time? Um, well, to be honest, at that point, I was just going to see friends of mine or friends of friends that were in bands. A lot of shows were happening. Like, if it wasn't on, like, St. Charles, there was this place downtown um, on the riverfront called Bernard's Pub, which was, like, straight-up punk rock joint. Um, again... Not sure why my parents were okay with me going to this place at such a young age, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah. But um, we, I, I was just going to local bands and, and, and stuff like that at that point. I didn't really know a lot of national touring acts or, you know, at that point, it was, you know, we were just going to see friends. So I think when I started getting introduced to more touring acts, was there was like this weird turning point where, I was trying to book us on more shows and branch out from just doing local shows. But, you know, anytime we talked to a booking agent, I, I would get like shot down or wouldn't even get a call back or anything. Cause there wasn't such thing as like, no one was really using email back then. Yeah. So it was all like, you know, phone calls and answer machines. Yeah. So, you know, if I didn't get a response back, I started getting frustra frustrated and was like, well, I wonder if I could book, my own shows and we could play those and i don't know how i got the ball rolling but i did i just started like i would go to you know i said there wasn't an email but i'd go to like the library and use their computer and spend like an hour just trying to upload like two websites or something yeah. <laughs> and would you know of course there was a little bit of email but people weren't using it that often so i would try to reach out to people from out of state like that and I eventually came across a couple different booking agents that did touring bands and um, got relationships with them and started, you know, trying to, to find bands that I wanted to play with and bring to town, like Voice That's Fire mm -hmm. and Zayo and, um, like, Shutdown and stuff like that. And it just kind of, you know, in order for me to get the bands I wanted, they started asking me to book bands that really I could give, you know, careless about playing with those guys like catch 22 and some ska bands and, and some other punk bands that just really wasn't what i was into at the time 
but I was willing to work with them and help them out so we could keep getting good shows to come through. Yeah. So it just kind of snowballed from there. Oh, that's cool. So how how old were you at this point? Was this... Oh, geez. Um, High school, post? It was probably... Um, I was probably like a junior or senior in high school. Okay. So I, I was probably, I was probably like around 18 years old when I first kind of started dabbling with that stuff. That's so awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to look back and, and see that I started that, that young, but yeah. I just, you know, like I said, I grew up around music. So at that point it was just, that's, that's all I knew. And that's yeah. all I really wanted to do at that point. Yeah. When did you start playing in bands? Um, I was, I think, 16, 15 or 16 when I started my first band. Um, we were called Hereafter. And uh, it was uh, Todd, the singer from Not Waving, was the singer in it. And uh, two of my other friends um, who went on to other projects and stuff over the years. But um, we were more, that was definitely during the phase of when I was like, really into like the rap core stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like orange nine millimeter yeah. and raging against the machine and um you know just things like that and, and uh so we had a little bit of that vibe going on we hadn't really crossed over to like the, the metal hardcore stuff at that point but um yeah i think that was i was like 16 we did that for a couple of years so i think when we ended that it was right around the time I was 18, probably starting to book shows. Because I think I booked a few shows, like, with, with that band, with, like, Voice That's Fire. We did a show. Um, I don't know. I can't really remember who else. It's been so damn long. Yeah. Yeah, and then you went... First off, for a first band name, um, Hereafter Doesn't Suck. Because <laughs> there are some really oh, awful man. first band names. I appreciate that, but it's still, like, one of those, like like geez really yeah. <laughs> couldn't think of anything better yeah, you know. but I guess like in, in the uh, famous first band names that I've heard other people say I guess it could be worse yeah in the grand scheme it's however what if I told you that the first show we did with I think we just played one or two songs before we named ourselves hereafter we went by Clitoris what would you say to that <laughs> that's uh, oh man <laughs> just, just hypothetically speaking asking for a friend <laughs> oh yeah that would that that would be uh that would be something else. Uh. <laughs> well, I had, I had to redeem myself for you saying here after wasn't that bad of a first band. Uh, uh, yeah, you just up the ante there. Uh, so was not waving uh, after hereafter. Yeah, we hereafter disbanded just because basically half of us decided that we wanted to keep going in like in a more aggressive noisier direction because we were even getting um i think at that point here after it played with uh snapcase and refused and like um i think it was turmoil and coalesce even i'm pretty sure those were before hereafter joined or uh, before not waiting started um so we started playing shows like that and we're like holy shit and those bands have phenomenal live shows yeah. and just you know blew us away and we we're like holy fuck that's what we want to do yeah 
So, I mean, we, and, and hereafter, it definitely kind of progressed and, and changed sound, especially towards, like, the end of that band. So when we were playing those shows, we didn't necessarily not fit in. Um, we weren't up there doing, like, rap core songs at that point. But, but I think the other two guys were just kind of like, you know, I, I think we want to do more just, like, rock kind of stuff and really not into all the screaming metal stuff and want to try something different. So we're like, all right. Todd and I stayed together, and then we looked for um, a couple of dudes to um, start up a new band and kind of go in a more aggressive direction at that point. That's cool. And then I'm I'm just looking at uh, your Discogs page. It looked like you did like a a cassette release. Um, was it the Forgettable Fear? Oh yeah, the uh, the demo we did. Yeah. I think it was like four or five songs. Yeah. This forgettable feeling yeah, that was... left behind his one. That's 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 one hell of a name. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. That we were you could definitely tell we were from like the late nineties with like titles that were like ten words long. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a trend back then. And now, and now it's funny because it seems like everybody's doing records nowadays, and like the title's like one word. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 definitely changed over the years. <laughs> How'd you guys get hooked up with the uh, Takehold Records? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think it was probably just at that point I'd maybe upgraded to having a computer at the house instead of going to the library all the time and uh, probably introduced to AOL Messenger at that point as well. Um, so, you know, that there was that whole new addiction and introduction to the Internet that was like, like, oh, this is crazy. Like, you can talk to some dude in, like, New York or, or whatever without having to pick up the phone. And so I, I think I was just, you know, checking out band pages and... Uh, just trying to um, reach out to different labels and stuff that had bands that we liked and just kind of say, hey, we're a band from St. Louis, can we send you a demo? And I don't really remember exactly how I met up with Chad, but I'm assuming it was probably somewhere along the lines of that, just through the internet. We also somehow, uh, Jesse from Zayo got my number when he was booking a tour. I don't know if he knew, knew the take hold label chat over there um at that point or not but he you know we may have gotten hooked up through those guys like, i can't remember to be honest yeah but just, just i'm sure it was just from networking at some point cool yeah because uh if it's too cute was released uh on two different labels is that correct yeah we we did the um the release over here in the states with take hold and then uh, there was a label over um, in London um, called uh, Household Name Records. Mm -hmm. They had put out, um, I think, like an Indecision 7-inch. Um, I, I really can't remember any of the other bands. There was a, like a lot of like UK bands that they put out over there and stuff. They, they did a few like US uh, bands, but um, again, not 100% sure how they heard about us. I, I know that like... Um, through again through the uh, the internet, we I reached out and would hook up with 
you know, random people over in the UK off of certain like message boards mm-hmm. and stuff like that and send, you know, our demo to and and uh I guess somehow those guys heard about us through that or something and, and um was interested in putting the record out. So we we're like, well this is perfect. We got someone who wants to put it out in the States, someone who wants to put it out overseas. Um we had two had totally different um layouts done. So I mean they look like they don't even look like the same record, but uh um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a cool experience though getting getting to work with a label overseas, especially since we never ever actually toured over there or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Both the labels were great. That's cool. You guys did a split with Boy Wonder. Yeah, um, I don't remember the name of the label. It was just kind of like a random. Um, through these eyes label I think based somewhere in the Midwest what was it through these eyes oh through these eyes yeah yeah um, I want to say they did a compilation like a CD compilation yeah that we were on too and there might have been like like some, it's funny because I look back at some of these compilations and I mean it came up pretty early like 99 2000 2001 mm-hmm. and there's bands like there's a compilation like from somewhere that was put out in South America that like at the drive-in was on. And then there's the hardcore one that I was talking about through these eyes put out, I think like poison the well was on it and, and a couple other bands. Yeah, I'm looking at it Like now. nowadays you look at it and you're like, Holy crap. <laughs> these bands are huge. Yeah. But uh, like, yeah. Who's on yeah, this comp? Uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, poison the well, me without you, brothers, keeper, old man, gloom, botch. Oh wow. On the, on the one I was just talking about. Yeah. Holy crap! I, <laughs> I I knew there were a couple of cool bands on there, but I didn't know it was like all those bands. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, and then some like random bands like yeah, that probably yeah. This label they put out that record, that comp, and the split, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember them putting out much, but um, but yeah, they they did the seven inch, and up until recently, that was really our only. Uh, vinyl release so um, it was like an extra song that we recorded during the If It's Too Cute sessions and uh, it just didn't feel like it fit on the record so mm-hmm. we're like we like the song we want to keep it around and we'll just find somewhere to, to place it later on and he came up with the, with that offer to do a split with, uh, with those guys and we're like yeah let's do it yeah Boy Wonder was a great band I saw them live a bunch of times. Yeah, we did a few shows with those guys because they they ended up uh, being really good friends with the Zeo guys too. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm I know that for a fact that they ended up jumping on like a bunch of random shows here and there, uh, just because they they knew those guys really well and uh, they were all you know good dudes. Um, I still hear like every now and then like if if that seven inch gets posted online or, or stuff like people are always really excited to to see their names so it seems like they definitely made an impact with people when they were around yeah yeah i always thought they were a great live man not waving you guys didn't last much longer after that split right or you didn't release anything um, we well we did the, the that was really probably the last thing we did that was um formally like released on like an actual label mm-hmm. we recorded um I think it was like a three or four song demo 
and that was probably in either late 2000 or maybe early 2001 and we Use that. We basically just like hand burn uh, demo CDs and just uh, made up some small paper inserts and threw them in a case and was selling those on tour and would just press them as we ran out of them. So, I, to be honest, I, I have no idea how many we even made of those, probably a couple hundred or, or so. But um, uh, that was never on a label. We were basically that was what we were using to kind of shop around and try to get on a label. And we were so close to a couple different uh, uh, signing situations, and and there was always like random things that came up that just kind of uh, um, uh, basically killed the deal. So um, I think because at one point Take Hold was uh, they were getting bought out by. Um, Tooth and nail and solid state, and I think that there was talk about um, solid state uh, wanting us to keep keep us on the roster for a little bit, and, it, and there was a contract that was drew up, and uh, I don't know. We had we were working with some some management and uh, some lawyers at the time that uh, um, I think the back and forth between the label that just they just got sick of it and just eventually shelved the deal and didn't keep forward with it which bummed us out because you know we were touring we wanted to do a new record we knew it had been a while since we had put anything out and people needed and wanted a new record and we just you know we didn't want to keep playing like the same songs over and over and over for like another two years um so it, it was kind of rough um at that point um but you know and that's part of the reason why the, the band kind of self-imploded in 2002 because we were the focus was on touring and playing shows and we kept getting offered stuff which was great but it made it really hard to find time to like set aside and write songs and chords so yeah. I think that was ultimately our downfall was we um, we didn't turn stuff down so we could focus on what we really needed to do so but when you're getting asked to go out and tour with bands like Zao and and uh, to stay forward and stuff like that. It's like, uh, we want to do the tour. Can you We've had a few so-called reunion shows over the years. Um, we, we disbanded in 2002 without really playing um, like a last show or anything. Um, Jeff was doing Open Hand, uh, which was on Trust Co. Records at the time. Um, he left us and joined those guys. And I think it was about a year went by, and then we were like, hey, we never did like a last show. We should really do one. Um, so we did, I think, one there and one in Farmington. So that was probably 2003. Um, and then there we let another couple of years go by, and then we did another show with uh, some friends of ours. Uh, they were called Maybe Today, but a couple of the guys, or one of the guys went on to join Story of the Year. Okay. And they've actually 
basically maybe today turned into this band that's around nowadays called Greek Fire. Um, it's the same guys plus another guitar player. Um, but we played with those guys at like one of the bigger clubs in St. Louis. And I think after that show, we it was a a while, like maybe four or five years till we did another show. I mean, we've probably done like five or six reunion shows <laughs> <laughs> over time. So and after a while, we just quit calling them reunion shows. And it's just like, hey, we're doing a show. But, you know, it's just one of those things because like Jeff lived in California. And we all, even though we broke up, we all we all kept in touch with each other and still had like mutual respect. And, and we loved what we were doing. We just kind of burned each other out at that point, you know, so once we had a break away from each other, like, you know, when Jeff was back in town, we always kind of tried to make time to, to get together and jam, maybe throw a show if we could fit it in, stuff like that. Is that kind of how Flow Clinic came about? Um, wow. I'm trying to remember at what point why we were like, yeah, this is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was the, I think it was maybe just the fact that like, because um, Jeff didn't come into town very often. It was like maybe a couple times a year because he was pretty busy. He had originally went to Vegas and then he moved to, to uh, Los Angeles area. And he was there for, I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but I would think at least like 10 years. At least it seems like 10, 10 years. It was, it was a pretty long time. Um, so when he came come into town, it was really a couple times a year, mainly to see family and maybe do like some tattoo appointments. So... Um, when he was in town, we were like, we really wanted to, to do stuff and, and take advantage of the time. And, but we didn't necessarily want to do like a bunch of not waving shows. So, you know, we just do the one not waving show. And then we're like, well, we've always been, you know, we gel really well. The three of us, like just, you know, messing around and just jamming on stuff. Like, you know, what do you think about doing like maybe a so-called like jam band <laughs> mm -hmm. and like we're not really jam band in the sense like it's like hippie stuff by any means but um you know i guess nowadays it's fallen the post genre of whatever the hell that is but i'm still trying to figure out what the hell post metal and post rock and post this and that means but i don't remember exactly what year the first flow clinic show was but it probably was like around like 2009 or 10 something like that it's been a while um, it may have been earlier too I really don't remember when the first show was we did like a show I want to say that I, I could be wrong but I want to say the first one was at the Rocket Bar and we played with uh, KO Dot if you remember those guys mm -hmm. yeah um, we played with those guys then a few years later we played with Life and Times at a place called Off Broadway then we did another show that was just with like some locals had like a small pizza joint. So we, we would, anytime Jeff would come into town, we'd do a night waving gig. We would try to slap a flow clinic show in there like the night before or something like that. So um, I think it was us just trying to milk Jeff's time and, and to, to fit in as much fun as we could while he uh, was available. And it's funny because it seems like at this point, flow clinic um will be as far as live shows go will probably be the more active band of the two just because um todd, todd the singer from that waving he's he's got a very very busy job and a and a lot of uh, personal interests that he's um 
you know is really into right now and and uh we understand that you know a lot of these other things are his focus right now but he he's totally into doing the not waving thing and just whenever we can find time so at you know some point down the line it might be a little bit more active but right now we're just I think we're just kind of taking it slow and, and looking to you know focus on writing a record like we never did in the past so yeah. write some songs you know more focus on that instead of playing live shows yeah which is cool and you guys just put out a a new record a new single right um we uh it's it's funny because like the first you know not waving song in like 15 years ended up being a 56 second song for a seven inch compilation <laughs> of, of uh local local bands from st louis it's a bunch of great bands and uh encapsulated records put it out and they had the idea i think uh um, those guys and uh one of the guys, I think Jason from Suicide Dive, a uh, local band here, had the idea of like, hey, let's do something that's kind of along the lines of like the old um, uh, Fat Records did like compilations with, you know, songs or bands, but not super short songs. Yeah. So we're like, how many songs can we fit on a seven inch? So originally it was going to be like 10 bands and they ended up fitting 14 on this thing. Oh my gosh. And um, it's it's pretty cool. It turned out really well. And when they first told us, we were like, wow, this this is going to be a hot mess, but um, but we were into it, and so the first song you guys get from us in 15 years is a 55 seconds. <laughs> on a seven inch yeah that's incredible and it's funny because fister i don't know if you're familiar with fister but they're um they're from here in st louis and they're like a stoner doom metal band that's notorious for doing like 25 30 minute songs like just a single song being that long yeah so they have like a 45 second track on this thing it's like one of the shorter tracks on on the whole thing and that's um, and if anyone's interested in that, it's called Quarter Hour of Power, and Encapsulated Records put it out. So, it's um, it's the song we we did on it's uh, obviously short, fast. It's a rager. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it. So it was it was a cool project to do. They had a lot of the gear set up, so basically, like all these bands, you would come in and and just use gear that was set up. And and uh, uh, luckily, I, the gear we used was great, so everybody sounded awesome on it. <laughs> That's awesome, and and the vinyl looks fantastic. Yeah, they did a great job. They did um, Wax Mage. They did like a uh, thirty copy version of that. That um, and they're just known for doing crazy out of the ordinary color combinations, and um, I don't know, they just do weird things with vinyl that you know up until recently people didn't do with vinyl. So. Um, they, I think they did like 25 or 30 copies of that, and it uh, there's a bunch of different variations, but they all turned out pretty killer. And I'm I'm a huge vinyl collector, so anytime I can put something of myself out on vinyl, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. How did you get into collecting vinyl? Um, again, my parents uh, 
my dad was like a huge vinyl collector growing up and um and it's it's funny because like i think just like with a lot of people vinyl collecting was definitely like an obsession mm-hmm. <laughs> of my dad and um he ended up and I, I think this is i think there's probably a lot of people that do this nowadays too but it's on like a totally different level like he got to where like he would start selling part of his collection so he could afford to get new things and, and kind of uh, continue his collecting madness. So we, we ended up doing a lot of record shows and stuff. And I think at some point it even became like um, a little bit of like an extra, extra money on the side, but really it was just like a, a hobby that like got kind of out of control that, yeah. <laughs> that my dad liked doing. So. saying that not waving is going to be working on a record you're working on writing a record um yeah it's uh we actually the next thing that we're going to be doing is a seven inch um that uh mind over matter Records is going to be putting out later this year they're doing a uh, subscription series mm-hmm. and uh, basically they're putting out a different record um you know by a different band every month and uh um, they were kind enough to ask us to do it. It's going to be, I think, in November is our slot for that. Awesome. And um, we recorded those already. We're just kind of getting, you know, all the uh, finishing touches with the, our work and mixes and stuff like that done right now. But yeah, that'll that'll come out in November. And it, you know, we took a while on those two songs, so I think it's going to be a little while we don't write as quick as we used to yeah <laughs> but uh you know the goal is to do a full length and i'm sure we'll get there eventually it's just not going to be a, a fast process by any means yeah but we're fine with that because we want to put out something that we're proud of i think there's a handful of songs that we wrote towards the end of when we right before we broke up that we did some recordings of but the recordings were not good they didn't do them justice so at some point we might, I don't know if they would necessarily be included on the full length, but um, I think there's some desire to maybe re-record three or four of those songs at some point as well. Cool. So we'll just see where it takes us. That's cool. And then did I see you're working on uh, an ambient project too? Um, yeah, I've kind of, uh, I haven't put anything out necessarily, but I'm, I'm actually trying to wrap up a few recordings and some mixes to kind of start getting stuff out there on Bandcamp. Um, but like, I've always wanted to kind of do like just a solo thing with like um, guitars and just wasn't really sure where to go with it. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not that great with like home recordings, so I'm just kind of stumbling through the process, yeah. a lot of trial and error, kind of figuring that out. I've always been the like guy that just writes the music. I've I've never really got too much into the recording process because I just never had the patience yeah. personally, but I'm trying, trying to figure it out. And, um, that project I'm probably going to end up calling, uh, two hands, one engine. And it's something I actually kind of sparked up again because I got introduced to, um, I went down the rabbit hole of 
YouTube watching tape loop videos. Oh, yeah. And so being introduced into, like, back into, like, you know, cassettes and analog recording and, and tape loops and stuff like this, I was like, like, this looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. And most people would just look at me like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but I've really, um, I think this guy uh, that I first found out about recently called Amulets, um, he's up in Portland nowadays and just the stuff he's doing is crazy. Like his music's beautiful, but he does a lot of YouTube videos with uh, crazy experimentation. Um, that's, you know, just a lot of visuals and it, it's, he does some really interesting stuff and that's really kind of what got me into it and kind of sparked the idea of like, maybe I should write some solo stuff and kind of mess around and get experimental. So I'm going to do that. I have no idea what direction it's going to go. It's probably going to be really weird, but... Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Oh, definitely. Thanks, uh, thanks for asking me. Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening.